Listener Production. Hello, my name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to this special series of The Weekend Briefing, where I talk to some of my favourite guests, old and new, about a single fascinating subject. Over the next couple of months, you'll hear from singers, writers, models, actors and changemakers on topics as diverse as the interview subject themselves. Today, you'll hear from Lillian Ahenken on influence. Lillian, much better known as Flex Mommy, is a radio and television presenter, DJ, author, business owner, and has more than 169,000 followers on Instagram. In this special episode, Flex speaks about the commodification of influence, who gets to be a role model, and why we should all think more deeply about who influences us and why. Flex Mommy, welcome to the Weekend Briefing. Thank you. Happy to be here. I am so thrilled to have you back. I am like proper psyched because the first time I chatted to you for this show was I think the first time we'd met and it feels like it was roughly 20,000 years ago and you have only become more influential and therefore more qualified <laughs> to talk about this subject since. Thank you. I mean, it does feel like that. Time has a funny way of just making us feel stuck in like a certain space but also so transcendent like yeah that was ages ago but then it wasn't long ago at all so let's go back a little bit because you are a person of many many talents when did you first remember someone calling you an influencer or when did you first call yourself that which I'm guessing you didn't Ooh, I think it had to do I mean for context the first thing I ever was uh, professionally, um, was a DJ. I mean, I also worked in PR, but in terms of this kind of creative space, I was a DJ first. And there was a presumption that I was an influencer because I would document myself and my outfits and things like that. And I guess at the time, 10 years ago, those were very archetypal characteristics of being an influencer. If you documented yourself and your audience was primarily people who didn't know you, then you must have been. And I really battled with that concept only because I consumed influencer content. So I was like, no, that's not me. I don't have an aspiration to create a community. I am not on any PR lists. I don't make content with like for consumption. I just exist here. And then eventually I remembered from when I worked in PR and I used to do uh, influencer management and wrangling, the perks of being perceived as an influencer. I almost forgot. So I said, may as well use the title (laughs) if it means there are perks to be found. When you worked in PR, and I know that was relatively brief, but when you worked in PR, how did you talk about or think about the influencers that you worked with? I guess... It was from a very isolated perspective of we had these specific clients. It was like luxury jewellery, essential oils and children. And we just funneled them through the lens of were these people good for our clients? I didn't think about the macro. I didn't think about the knock-on effect. I didn't think about where influencers sat in the greater scheme of thing. It all just felt really um, linked and in 
in relation to the job I was doing, which also meant that when I started being an influencer, I couldn't figure out the macro and the next step. And it was all in relation to who I was as a person. I think my only hesitation with being perceived as an influencer came later on when I had, you know, I'd done the DJing, I'd done the radio presenting, I'd done podcasting, um, I'd started businesses, and there were these other characteristics that I perceived to be of more value or more quality to what I was doing, and it kept getting relegated to derogatory, you're an influencer. Mm. And I was like, no, well, yeah, but there's also this other stuff, this other stuff, this other stuff. But now I'm like, whatever, who cares? (laughs) Mm. I'm interested in that because even in the way that you say that, the first reaction is to say, well, no, I'm not just that. I'm all these other things as well that make me worthy of being someone to, to listen to, to follow, to be interested in. Can you be just an influencer and nothing else? Well, that's the thing. I I always tell people if I knew I could be just an influencer and that was enough, I would have done that. But at the time, (laughs) and, you know, it's like if I could switch it around, like just be an influencer and not do these other things, I'd 100% do that. If I knew that being just an influencer was a career path, that in some alternate reality you could get up every day and commodify yourself and your interests and your thoughts and that would be it, I would have done that to begin with. But I already thought I was pushing at being a DJ. I was like, this is just insane. I didn't even make the music. I just play the music and I get paid. And then suddenly I was working in radio and I was like, you can just talk and get paid? Had I known there was another path, I probably would have taken it. Um, But I I guess the reason now or before when I had a a funny relationship with the title, it was – Layered. It wasn't just because that I couldn't see the value in being an influencer. It's because at every turn, someone was trying to tell me all the ways in which I needed to prove that I was worthy of this kind of attention, right? You didn't even have that many followers. How did you get this? You didn't even do this. How did you do this? I'm like, because the influence is there, but I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) So it's a funny one. That commodification question is an interesting one too because I was having a look on, online before we, we jumped on and found some data that's showing the majority of brands now have standalone budgets for content marketing and more mm-hmm. than three-quarters of those brands will dedicate a budget specifically to influencer marketing. So you've now got these big corporations and small and medium corporations thinking about where they're going to put their advertising dollar and they're thinking about television and they're thinking about um, uh, ads and, you know, like spots and dots on a website and they are thinking about spending money with a particular influence. So you are literally turning who you are into a commodity. Do you feel like you give a certain percentage of yourself as part of that commodity that you put forward online and hold some percentage back? Yes. Okay. So in the initial stages, uh, Because being an influencer is a very isolated career path. It's very cagey and for reasons I'm sure we can all understand. But um, when I did grow my community and I was able to start talking about what we were doing, the one, I remember this distinct conversation where I was kind of lamenting the fact that um, I didn't really know how to divvy up myself. I was like, gosh, every day I've got to come on the internet and share exactly how I'm feeling, exactly what I'm doing, exactly what my thoughts are. And these people that I was speaking to were like, I don't understand what you're saying. And I was thinking, am I not articulating myself very well? What are you not understanding? Remember this one girl in particular was like, that's the worst thing you can do. She's like, I just lie. 
And I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, I don't lie. But she's like, I definitely am a caricature of some sort when I come on the internet. I think about who I'm trying to outreach to, who I'm trying to be perceived as, what brands I want to work with and make sure who I'm presenting myself as fits within those neat, it's almost compartmentalised. And I don't know if I've ever perceived that to be an option. And I guess you do that in regular jobs as well. You pick and choose what's your customer service voice? How are you going to child rear these children today? But in that instance, I was like, gosh, oh. And I think I got stuck in this whole idea of being perceived as genuine because I was being genuine. To withhold any part of my character felt like lying by omission or felt inherently deceitful. And I I kept oscillating between, well, what do you have to hide and how much is it worth? Like how much is it worth to come onto your phone, be a 2D character in somebody else's phone, there for their entertainment and their education and enlightenment? But if it's taking so much from you, then what is it actually worth? And then I had to double back and say, also, a lot of influencers don't get paid to be on an app. Like if I go on Instagram right now and make content, they're not paying me. You make content with the intention that somebody somewhere who works for a brand with marketing budget will pay you eventually to do something. So then it became this uh, this realization of, oh gosh, I'm just feeding this insatiable beast who's always going to want more because when you set a standard, you have to keep increasing that standard. And so nowadays, like, Anybody who's followed me for more than, I would say, four years knows that the, it's black and white. It's night and day. I used to, <laughs> I remember there was a point in time where I used to do so many Instagram stories a day, I discovered there was a cap on how many Instagram <laughs> stories you could do in a day. I didn't know there was They'd be like, stop posting. You've posted too much. And then they updated it. And what would happen is you could only post 100 stories a day and then they would start deleting the first stories and then just overlapping them. That's how often I was posting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That is that is a full-time gig. Every single day. No breaks. Because why? Every day on the feed there was something to say. And I was podcasting at the same time. And I was on Twitter. And I was on. It was too much. Now I'm like, babes, I don't have anything to say here. You know why? Because this is a job. This is a job. And the same way you clock into your shift nine to five, I'm clocking in, I'm doing enough to maintain and I'm getting out. Or I think I'm also just focused. You know, I look at a lot of my peers who've been in the same industry for 10 or so years and you have to start reflecting, you know, like you don't get bonus points for breaking your back and posting a hundred stories a day, you know, because every day you get a new follower who doesn't know the history, who doesn't know the law, who doesn't know that you've been doing this. They just know you from the day they come and greet you. So at that point, you're like, I can't beat this system. We're talking about the job of being an influencer, which, you know, if my grandmother was still alive, she would not know what that meant, right? We're talking about something that's quite recent that we've come up with this terminology. But the idea of influence is not remotely new. Human beings have been influencing one another either knowingly or or unknowingly for a long time. And something that I feel like has has kind of gone out of the of the zeitgeist of talking about in that space is the concept of role models. Like we used to talk about who who is a role model and and even more than that who is a good and worthy role model and this this sort of idea that if you are someone who a lot of people know who you are, you have to behave a certain way because children might look up to you if you're a I don't know a, a footballer or an actress or whatever it might be. <laughs> 
how do you feel with about the idea of being a role model and people looking up to you or aspiring to be like you? I mean, again, this was in the earliest stages and days because I viewed myself as such an isolated, uh, not an isolated person, but my experience with influencing was isolated, just me and my phone, me and my thoughts, me and my phone. So the people interacting were just kind of incidental. I don't even know how you got here. I don't even know why you're still here. (laughs) So to say that for some reason now this kind of like personal practice on a public platform means that I now need to be held to a standard. I really, um, uh, I I wasn't responsive to it. I was Mm. very defensive about it because I was just like, wait a second, who are you people? And I I think it, it, I I remember the peak of it is when I had this podcast, it was called Bobo and Flex, I think in 2019, 2020. And we would talk about philosophy and psychology and identity and race. And we would get really deep because just two black women having a personal conversation on a public platform. And so because I had the bigger platform, the majority of our audience ended up being Australian and by proxy, not black. And so what we ended up finding after two years of doing this podcast is that because we were speaking from like a lived experience and it was going directly into the ears of people who weren't like us, the terminology they then want went to use to discuss these issues about mm. race or black womanhood or fatness were from the lens or the voice of someone who had lived that experience. And we were like, oh, wait, this is so strange because interestingly, it, it kind of made me understand why people couldn't separate themselves from the people that they consume and thus needed them to behave as role models or needed them to be upstanding. Because there's something that happens when somebody consume something from their device that feels personal. They're talking to me. The information's for me. They're here for me because I found them when I needed them. And so now coming onto the internet, just being older and having a better sense of the world around me, I definitely recognize the responsibility to be a role model, but I also have concerns about role-playing role model. Because I think like anything that comes across one dimensional, when the dimension starts showing, people get confused. For example, authenticity marketing. Everybody thinks that authenticity marketing is when someone presents themselves as vulnerable. I'm really depressed. I have feelings. I once had body dysmorphia. But some of the most authentic people I know are just terrible people. Rude, brashy, boisterous, um, cynical people. Where's their space on the internet to be themselves? Well, no, that doesn't fit into this criteria. Similar with role modelhood, I want this person to be upstanding in the way that I see upstanding people, successful, objective thinkers, not prickly, very respectable, uh, model, um, ideal people. And it's like, okay, but what, what about when I don't fit into that neat criteria? Whose problem is it then? And to the more time I spend online, I'm, I am hyper aware of being a role model, but in a way that makes sense. It doesn't benefit me to be archetypal in a contradictory way. Like if I'm not inherently professional, I'm not going to pretend to be professional. If I'm not inherently mild-mannered, I'm not going to pretend to be mild-mannered because it suits the internet. If I have something to say about a popular piece of media that's contrary to what you think, I'm going to say it, you know. It's tricky. I do think, though, that this this kind of response influencers have to not wanting to be a role model is 
an overcorrection from this broader conversation we're having in society about like what do we owe each other yeah and this hyper individualism that happens as a response to being part of communities and societies that haven't been there for you as an individual and so once I've got mine my little piece of the pie why suddenly I've got to be aware of everybody else in the room and I totally get that but it's futile because we need each other (laughs) we really do I also think when you've got that, that sort of parasocial relationship with someone where you've never met them and you've created a construction of them in your own head based on little snippets of what you do know of them. But for whatever reason, that becomes part of your own persona. You know, I'm a, I am follow Flex on Instagram, so what does that say about me? Not, not yeah. just about what it says about you, but what does it say about me? And then when that identity behaves in a way that's contrary to the little box we've put them in, no matter how authentic that behaviour might be, if it cuts against how we see them and how we've decided what they are, it then feels like a personal affront because you've become part of my own personal branding, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done it for centuries, use symbols in lieu of verbal communication. Mm. Because if I can tell you symbolically that I am aligned with this school of thought, aligned with this way of being, aligned with this way of living, then you get it. It's enough. I don't need to explain anymore. But right now in this day and age that we live in, when everything is like all about nuance, it's all about the gray area, it's all about peeling back the known to find the unknown, you can't just live in that land of ambiguity of like, well, but I told you I was a feminist, you should know what that means. I told you I don't like the patriarchy, you should know what that means. But when you ask people to elaborate, like you said, it sounds like an attack because mm. they're kind of like, wait, we've never had to do that before. <laughs> Why would you ask me to do that? If I kind of think back to sort of how influences played out before the kind of world of social media and the interconnectedness that we that we have now. Like I go back to childhood and I totally recognise that when I do this, I am going to sound so old because I am at least a decade older than you. But like my memories are of what was cool at whatever time, right, when someone in my class started wearing blah and then suddenly we all had to or if there was a, you know, I don't know, someone on telly who we were completely obsessed with, I remember the phase where we all had to have snap pants, where we all decided our pants should come apart with little snap clips. Like that was a sensible thing to do. I don't even know why we thought that was a good idea. And they didn't even go the whole way up. You couldn't like completely snap them off. You could snap them almost off, but not off. So it wasn't even helpful in getting changed, but it was the coolest thing there was. I think that trend focused stuff and the influence that comes from brands and from trends, for me, that feels very distinct from the idea of influence coming from a particular human being. And I think where it starts to get blurry for me is this new world we've created of the the person of the as the brand mm. or the influencer as the brand because I can't figure out if you're Nike Air Jordans or if you're Michael Jordan being a role model for me. And I, I feel like the two have meshed now and I'm not quite sure how to pull them apart. And people become really defensive. I often say, especially when I'm doing, let's say, sponsored content, I often tell clients I want the ad to feel like an ad. 
I don't want it to feel indiscernible from whatever else I'm doing because there's a transaction happening. No matter how much I might like this product or how much I might have put you through a rigorous list of do's and don'ts before we can even have this conversation, there's still a transaction happening. I wouldn't just wake up and do this naturally. And I think that kind of deceit and the, the deception is what makes it extra confusing because people are intentionally trying to deceive you, intentionally trying to contrive this situation for brevity, for ease of consumption, whatever it might be. But I often feel like the reason why the influencer as a brand, as a role model gets confusing now is because now we all have way more agency on who we are, what we believe in and the kind of life we want to lead. Whereas let's say 30 years ago, there were very clearly defined roles and archetypes of people. We think this because we're from this country or we're from this uh, belief system or we're from this ideology. That's what we believe. And now it's like you as an individual, what do you think? And so suddenly, like with all this extra pressure, I've got to outsource it. I don't actually know this today, but I know I like this and I know I watch that and I know I listen to that. So what does that say about me? You let me know and then I'll let you know if that fits. And it's too complex. I feel as though it's an overcorrection. Everything we're experiencing now is like this overemphasis on personal identity and especially not how it fits in the relation of living. You don't have to know exactly who you are to exist comfortably in society, but people make it out that you do. So as soon as something that you experience or something that you've said is at odds with how someone's perceived you, it becomes a character assassination because of this urgency we put on knowing th- knowing thyself. We're not meant to know, but we're also not just meant to vibe and be apathetic. But that middle ground, it's I think it's new territory. I have this conversation card game business and these card games are called Reflex. And one of the questions that I'm always so excited to ask, and I wish I would have documented the answers from the very first time I asked in 2019, is who is influencing the way you think and why? Because my gosh, if we could see the differences between then and now, people are saying TikTok, uh, my Mm. therapist, fear, guilt, shame, um, the person I know that I wanted to be, the person who I was that I've strayed so far from, uh, and, and pop culture or, you know, specific figures in pop culture. But then very rarely do people answer the why. And I put the why for a reason. I said, who is influencing the way you think and why? Because the why requires too much personal responsibility. The why is the place where people are like, oh, I don't want to think too much about that because I might implicate myself as someone who's followed, right, blindly. I think we're also hugely influenced by the people around us, right? And one of the things I have had psychologists ask me in the past is who do you spend the most time with? Because that's who's having the greatest amount of influence on on you and, you know, who are the handful of people who you spend most of your in company hours with. (laughs) And, you know, I live with two other people, so that's easy. There's my partner and my son, Um, happy with those choices, comfortable with those choices. But when then I go to the next three, even though they're all excellent people, they're all people I work with. Like friends and extended family don't get there. They don't make it. And so in terms of who's influencing me and who's shaping me, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm not all about work and work isn't the only thing that I am. But I mean, it kind of is a pretty huge part because the people I work with and the people I work for are 
the ones who have that influence over me and who are building that influence over time and shaping who I am as a result in a way that I'm perhaps not very conscious about or very deliberate about. I'm interested because you run your own show, you're working for yourself, so you're having a lot of control over the people that you spend time with at work. How do you choose who you surround yourself with, either in a work sense or a personal sense? Do you have a criteria for who comes into the business, who comes into the orbit? Well, yeah, I mean, now I work with a greater team, but I I hire friends. I'm more about nepotism in that way. Yeah. (laughs) Look, discernment is a skill that I'm trying to learn because the byproduct of that kind of like hyper-individuality lone wolf thing is that I spend a lot of time thinking about me and my impact on others and not a lot about other people and their impact on me. Mm. I feel as though I am invincible in ways that I'm not. And where that blind spot has been really illuminated over the past three years is as I've grown my team and I've brought in people who I trust, who trust me and people who know me and people who I know. And it's when we start dealing with clients and people on the outside of this trust bubble and they're kind of like, why don't you see what we see? Why don't you see that these people are encroaching on your boundaries? They don't respect you. That They're not willing to bend like you bend. They're not willing to be accommodating like you're being accommodating. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't see it. So we have like my friends who are my colleagues who are in the inner circle, but outside of that inner circle, I've kept the same friends since high school. And maybe there are one or two new people who have crept through, but I really respect the sanctity of friendship. And so people really have to work their way up for me. I love an acquaintance. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an amazing hi, bye, little chit chat, chit chat. But in order to get to the inner circle of when you can rely on me and I can be responsible for you, you've got to be around for a long time. And I guess maybe subconsciously that's a part of my being that has been discerning this whole time that has been like, you know what, maybe you don't need an ever-rotating crew of people around you sucking you dry. (laughs) Maybe it's the people who've literally been there since you worked in retail and since you were 14 in high school judging people over whether they had champion track pants or Saucony track pants. Maybe those are the people who are right for you. Look, Flex, I think the fact that it takes so much work and it's hard to get into that inner circle of yours sounds highly sensible. I am noting that we have not been led into the inner circle today, but we got to be, I think, proper acquaintances by chatting and everyone listening today. Uh, So I'm going to say hi, bye. Thank you so much for talking to me (laughs) about influence. Thank you. I always love having conversations with people who know or who respect just like there's so much beauty in candor. I share, you share. And there's so much vulnerability in all the other bits and pieces and references that you give to make me understand your perspective. I know a bit about your lineage and a bit about where you've come from and a bit about your experience. And like, that's super cool. So thank you. That's it for my conversation with Flex Mommy. You can find her everywhere, folks. She is all over the social medias, as you've just heard. And you can also find her at flexmommy.com. That's it for today's episode of The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. If you'd like to make sure that you never miss an episode of The Briefing, the best thing to do is to download the listener app and you can follow us there or you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones on Monday morning. Listener.